we have a very special guest today. Can you tell by the thumbnail? If you can, you have eyes. Congratulations. Anyway, worst introduction ever, probably. Sorry. Sorry, Yashu. <laughs> Love you, man. All right. Today we got Hans as our special uh, uh, forum member. Thank you for coming on, Hans. And then, of course, the man of the hour, the Juju King himself, Yashu <laughs> Sharma from Hit That Bid. Thank you very much, brother. Appreciate How's you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for mm. having me on, Farzad. And you know what? I, I don't know if a Blu-ray passes as a Juju, but just oh, since no. I'm on your channel, I'll, I'll let it slide. I mean, it's supposed to be citrus, but... You know, oh. genomes don't really matter too much. Damn, I thought it was going to be like fruit. It's just a fruit. So it has to be a citrus. You I mean, know what? I knew that. It. I mean, we can expand yeah. it. Like, like, no big deal. Like, you know, usually I don't like to come on channels and start harping on the host. But uh, <laughs> but but to, but to be honest, it's also like I have to let it slide because I don't have any around me right now. So it's not oh like my God. I'm, you know, it's not like I'm keeping up the standard either. So, you know, who am I to point fingers? <laughs> well, listen, I figure we're tight enough where you can, you know, if you want to crap on me because of my juju, lack of knowledge, go for it, bro. Like, I'm not going to take it personal. We're here to grow together as people with our knowledge of juju, okay? So there we go. it's not, it's all good. But I appreciate the forgiveness. You know, I appreciate how kind you are. <laughs> you, know you know how it is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thanks Hell for having yeah. me on. <laughs> of course, man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, in the comments, if you're juju gang, make sure you drop a juju gang. We have a lot of juju gang in here. Juju gang, juju gang. Juju gang, make sure you can hear us okay, you can see us okay. Uh, but yeah, we're just gonna sit down, we're gonna have a conversation about Tesla, its performance. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of, um, uh, really the, if you're not familiar with this forum, really think of, of this format as a way for us to sit down and really dig deeply in uh, the different things that are going on related to Tesla, the market, the broad, broader market macro. But then there's also a lot of different things that we could talk about just that, that come up organically through discussion. And if you want to take part in that discussion, if you have some thoughts that you want to throw out there for us. So what the comment section's for. I'm going to be watching the comment section uh, closely. And then uh, with Hans being part of the discussion as well, who's and Hans is somebody who supported the channel through Patreon or, or YouTube Live. Um, he's another person who, if you're familiar with my channel, he's had a lot of great inputs and insights uh, in all the different discussions. So the thought process here is forum style conversation, and we're going to talk about all the different things, Tesla and uh, financial markets, plus uh, a bunch of other stuff too. So maybe the first uh, thing I'll throw out there is, uh, actually, let's pull up, uh, let's see how the, the market closed, yeah? Because the market just closed. So let's see um, how Mr. Market has done today. Uh, let's see. So we're up 0.04% uh, for the day, looks like. Yeah. Yep. So basically flat. Yeah. Uh, we gapped up uh, for the day. So we shot up to what? 943. And then we faded to uh, 891. Um, any thoughts there, Yashu? Maybe we'll start with that. Any any mm -hmm. thoughts around that price movement? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised with the up move this morning when you know we're we're sitting pretty, uh, it or it seemed like, but we sold off. I mean, it it I, I don't think I think it's okay. I think it's healthy that the market's taking a breather. I mean, Tesla's up what like thirty or something percent, thirty five percent or something like that in the last like couple of weeks, not even. So I mean, this is kind of expected. Uh, it seems like everyone's eyes are on the on the thousand dollar mark for Tesla yet again. Um, and there's a lot of pundits coming on, uh, financial analysts coming on mainstream media and saying, look, $1,000 is imminent. Thousand. So it feels like kind of like that twenty that uh, 2021 October run that we had originally got. Kind of, I kind of get those vibes again from kind of financial analysts. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think the only real report to worry about, it's kind of the dog days of summer too, guys. It's like August 1st today. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the market volume is not amazing uh, in the summertime. But it seems like the next kind of catalyst macro-wise is the CPI report. 
I think that's on the 10th of, of August, so in about 10 days. So maybe that is, and if that comes in cool, maybe we start to see this strength build on each other. Because everyone right now, it almost feels like, let me know if, if, you, if, if you guys feel like this too, is like, everyone's like cautious with, with the run that we've had. Like everyone's like, yeah, we run, but like, but this is probably a head fake, right? Like considering what mm. we've kind of gone through, no one really wants to believe whether or not, uh, no one wants to believe if this is real. So maybe towards the middle of this month, as we get our reports out around CPI, we start to see some strength building up towards the end of the year, but who knows? Hans, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, with it doesn't seem like we have inflation anywhere near in hand yet. And um, so I think there's definitely fear that it could be a dead cat bounce and that we're still heading lower in the not too distant, you know, near to midterm future. Um, and I think that's, you know, reflected in what you're seeing that people are pricing that in, at least at this point, it's still uncertainty in the market. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the the recent move is that uh, it comes on the heels uh, of so when did it really start? So if we, if we pull up the chart again, let's see. So if we pull up the chart and then we go back to when this thing really started to take off, uh, we have let me see. I'm like drawing my lines here. So it was um, July 13th. So about two weeks ago, right? Two 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 and a half weeks ago, we really started to get this uh, pretty uh, severe run up through that level. And I think what's been interesting about that is uh, this was uh, about a week or so, a week, exactly a week before Tesla reported their earnings, uh, their earnings. And then after they reported their earnings, we've had this sort of second leg that has taken us up to um, these levels. I think what's been really interesting, and uh, it was sort of alluded to uh, on the Good Soil stream today, Matt and Emmett, if you guys don't follow Matt and Emmett, make sure you go follow them. But there was a discussion around that movement. And I think one of the things that really has jumped out to me is I, I wonder how much the market is really starting to understand what Tesla's second half actually means from a cash flow perspective with the sort of investment grade variable thrown in there as well, you know? And uh, I wonder how today's single day performance, uh, like like you talked about it, Yashu, it might just be just you're sort of selling into some strength for people that may have bought in two weeks ago and wanted to take advantage of the earnings report that, you know, they were probably, I don't know, maybe they had some some thoughts or wanted to gamble on the damn thing mm -hmm. that it's going to go back up because it's oversold. And now mm -hmm. you're seeing that uh, sort of uh, selling pressure, at least at these levels, because of those people wanting to offload. But what I'm, what I'm encouraged by, and again, none of this is investment advice. None of us are giving investment advice, except for Yashu, mm -hmm. just kidding. None of us are giving <laughs> investment advice. Uh, <laughs> Especially not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think what's really interesting is that um, as we get closer to Q3, I'm curious to, to see if that story becomes more and more told in the analyst media. So we have people like Gary Black that are singing this song. You know, there's there's a free cash flow of 170 billion in the next, I think 12 months if you back out or through the end of 2023, if you back out CapEx on that 170. So it's really like 230 and then you back out 50 from CapEx. Um, and then investment grade coming on live, hopefully in the next quarter or so in the next few months. Um, it seems like there's a tremendous amount of catalysts. And any time we have any bit of strength in the market, I'm curious to see how many weak longs or how many weak hands are going to start shedding that have mm -hmm. been accumulating at these low levels. And then to your point, Yasha, we have we had this run up in October that lasted a month or two that took us to those all-time highs. 
I wonder if this is what we're in for for the next, say, six months as we go into Q3 and Q4, just with the sheer number of catalysts that are in front of us. Um, any thoughts around that? I'm curious to hear y'all, y'all think about that a little bit. Uh, I think you're talking about like the shareholder meeting, for example, next week and the stock sure. split and, <clears throat> pardon me, and investment grade and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Q3 earnings, Q4 earnings. Yeah. Q, yeah. Q, Q3, Q, I think Q4 definitely. But, you know, when we talk about Q4 earnings, I think that's like third week of January at that point. So we got some time until then. Sure. I think, enough. I think the interesting thing with Tesla is that Tesla doesn't, Tesla seems to do nothing and then catch up really fast, do nothing and then catch up and then on the downside, Mm -hmm. vice versa as well. Like, so I think with Tesla, it's not so like, it's not so much like, oh, how's Tesla? Like, for example, Q was a Q4 earnings 2021 were, uh, were amazing. So they came out. But it was it was kind of like the market didn't believe what Tesla was doing throughout the whole quarter. And then the first trading day of the year this year, January 4th. Like we shot up to twelve hundred and and four whatever close to our all time highs was, so it feels like the market likes to not give Tesla credit for what they're accomplishing during the quarter until like it's almost like the last second when they can give that credit mm-hmm. in. So it's like even though we have um, the stock split, which we can get into uh, in, into a little bit here, uh, even though we have the stock split, we have all these financials recovering. I think you're right in in the sense where the market looked at last quarter and they said, like, can it get worse than this? Like other than COVID. Like, will it get worse than Shanghai being down for a month and a half again? Mm. Berlin mm. and Austin actually in the beginning sections of their of their ramping curve. Like, will it get more uglier than this? Will there be more money burning? Essentially, like, you know, to quote Elon, a, a money furnace, Berlin mm-hmm. being. Will it get worse than that? I mean, the ramp curves are, are just going to get steeper and steeper. And Tesla is going to go higher on that ramp curve and and, and be more uh, free cash flow positive on those factories as time passes by. Shanghai risk is debatable. I mean, uh, to be fair, the CCP risk yeah. um, uh, of the geopolitical, like no one really knows. Um, and yes, we can get into that as well. It's a whole nother topic. So, but I mean, for the most part, like it, it seems like, it's kind of behind us, at least in the in medium term, uh, that China risk, uh, at least. Now, I don't know. But it seems like the market looked at that and they said, look, if it's not going to get as worse uh, or as worse as it did in quarter two, and Tesla reported, what, $2, uh, give or take, uh, adjusted gap EPS. Yeah. Like they're they're like wow like this is pretty stress tested at this point and if we look at the net latter half of this year the second half of this year um, we're talking like monstrous numbers if if they can get Berlin and there's some reports about their gear casting still being off if they can get Berlin and Austin uh, up and running faster. Got it. So you think it's more a function of like negative catalysts have sort of run out and and there's really nothing. Outside yeah. of a force majeure, that's really going to drive this thing lower. It's just like we're we're out, we're done, we're done with the BS essentially. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's the stock price is not always the business, and the business is not always the stock price. The of the course. theory being, in the long run, they're going to converge and be one to one in the long haul, right? And that's really what we can base stuff off is is earnings. Earnings is what matters in the long haul, but in the short term, one can be fluctuating uh, way more than the other, um, you know, for better or for worse. I don't know about the stock price. I think the stock price, it's it if the market settles down and we talk about the split happening uh September by September-ish, mm-hmm. um, we could get like if Amazon's any indication when Amazon uh approved uh, the shareholder uh, stock split and then and then they split, it was like that week of trading, that five to ten days worth of trading before the date was actually about to hit that we saw Amazon rise uh pretty astronomically before they split. 
But I mean, even stock splits, like I don't think we should get long term too excited about a stock split. It's great. I mean, it's a catalyst. It's awesome. But if if we remember last stock split, last stock split was, I think, end of August, something like that. And then Tesla yeah. fell like massively in this in that September after in like the first couple of days post split. So did Apple, by the way. So it was it was a macro thing as well. But, you know, stock splits for the long haul, that shouldn't matter. But yeah, I mean, for for the short haul, it was looking towards the end of the summer into the fall. Definitely something that I am excited about, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, it would be great if if Tesla stock um, <laughs> was, you know, in or around that thousand dollar mark that everyone's kind of talking about. Uh, but it seems like all time highs. um you know, we probably are, if we're t- talking all-time highs, probably if that's a possibility, which I'm not even sure if it is at this point for this fiscal year, because there's just so little time left, but that would have to be probably towards the uh, quarter four-ish um, time level, probably the latter half of that quarter. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, Hans, what do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with that. And then I was just trying to think through on... Um, so in the short term, like now that Tesla is held by a lot of institutions, you know, there are still a lot of retail buyers in Tesla, but the there's also quite a bit of institutional presence in the stock as part of the S&P inclusion that, you know, I think it's really hard just to talk about the short term, like trying to make um, plays on things like earnings that, we got to remember that these hedge fund managers, or at least this is my understanding of it, and y'all can correct me if uh, this is off, but that they have a lot of like boots on the ground data that they basically know exactly what's going to be reported in earnings ahead of time because of the research that they're able to get their hands on. Um, and so they're able to make those plays with some confidence moving into earnings season. Um, and so, yeah, like some of this recent run-up could be exactly that, that they're, you know, they're buying up before earnings and then, you know, they see a gap up and now they're going to unload some shares, just make a quick trade. Um, and then, <clears throat> so as a retail investor, yeah, it would just like, I try and stay away from playing in that time frame because I know that I don't have an edge there. And then, you know, if you kind of zoom back out, the you know if you look at the chart it's still in the you know the the wedge shape and it hasn't broken out on the high side yet um and so we don't know like if this is really we can with confidence say that this is you know the beginnings of a bull run or if we're just still trading around inside of our normal range so yeah yeah. yeah, I agree with um, what Yashu said as far as like, it, it seems like unless we get like a major shutdown in Shanghai again, that the bad news is behind us. We should see just incredible delivery growth through the back half of the year. Um, I was trying to look up and see what, uh, you know, if they sell the, call it 450,000 cars in Q4 at, close to the same ASP as they had in Q2. I was trying to calculate um, what that was going to be as far as earnings that that quarter and see like, where would that put our multiple? I think about five bucks. In time. I think about five bucks. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible EPS growth. Yeah. Yeah. I think, 
I think what's another thing that I'm really been thinking about quite a bit as we go into these like next couple months is uh, usually what, what I've noticed, uh, at least from like a um, execution standpoint at Tesla, is that having been there and having worked there, like I, I can kind of sense when Tesla is is like hitting on all cylinders, you know, and this is not it's, this isn't insider info. This is like me just kind of getting a vibe based on Elon not tweeting a lot is one. So he's or hasn't really been on Twitter, which tells me that he's razor focused. The other thing that I that I know having been there is that when we we as if I start still work at the company when they. <laughs> Uh, have any sort of like uh, reorganizational uh, restructuring, like organizational restructuring, or AKA layoffs. Mm -hmm. So they had a 10% salary layoff a few months ago. What would happen in the next six months or so, because you know I've been through multiple of them because it's just normal for a business to go through that. It was freaking fat, like stuff that was held up for say months at a time because it was stuck with somebody that wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Overnight, bam, everything gets done. Okay. So that's a signal for me that tells me that Tesla's, Tesla's uh, executional um, 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 sort of level for the next at least six months is going to be at an all-time high. They're going to be killing it. And so, and then the other one that you removed, the other variables that I think about as well is Shanghai appears to be running at full capacity. You have Austin and Berlin ramping. Maybe they're not fully ramped, but these are like momentum things that are happening within the company where people are becoming more and more encouraged about the progress they're making. Fremont is going to be going uh, <laughs> balls to the wall. You have uh, improvements in full self-driving happening. And so all these things put together to me from just a execution standpoint tells me that the company is 100% at its peak when it comes to the performance that they have going on right now. And so when I think about, okay, and again, not investment advice, when I think about Q3 and Q4 and, and sort of the those reports coming up, I really think whatever the expectations are that are going to be set from a market perspective or investors out there, again, do not listen to my advice, but this is how I think. I think Tesla over, goes above that because of those variables, right? And and I'm curious to see if, if say, Q3 and Q4 come in at, at levels above, even if it's really high expectations because they know these sort of negative catalysts have been removed. I wonder what that's going to do for the next leg of the stock price and what that's going to do for the, for the future performance of the stock price, given that even in a situation where everybody knows Tesla is going to be doing really, really well, they come out and they punch it in the face. And they do even better than people thought they were going to do. Similar to Q4 of last year. Q4 last year, yeah, we're not, Elon's like, we're not trying that hard. You know, we're not going to do the wave. Boom, 325,000 deliveries. Everybody's like, what the hell just happened? You know, what the hell just happened? Q3 and Q4 feel the same to me. And I think, and I'm curious to see what that's going to do to the to the stock price and, and how the market reacts. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I just wanted to throw that out there as an addition to the discussion. Let me know if you guys Yeah, I mean, that's a there. big next step for Tesla is getting to that, you know, Elon even said it himself, that 2 million run rate, right? I think the market is looking for that. And yeah, if you extrapolate out June, record record month altogether, it's hard to extrapolate. And I think the street, to give, to give them somewhat credit, I think looked at that extrapolation for the month of June and went, hold on, there's something that we're missing here. But extrapolating mm -hmm. a monthly number versus extrapolating a quarterly number are very different. And you're right. I think if that quarter three, I'm a little bit like, okay, well, maybe. But quarter four is really the big one because I think there's mm -hmm. going to be meaningful contribution from Berlin and Austin at that point. So 
extrapolating out that quarter four number and Hans, you were saying, you know, whatever EPS say, you know, I kind of just do ballpark math of like, if it's 400, 450,000 cars, you said in, in quarter four, uh, you know, five bucks EPS, like this, this, this quarter was a little bit less. It was two bucks versus them delivering, uh, you know, higher than that 250, whatever. But because of, you know, shutdowns and stuff, there's extra costs that they had to incur and, and, you know, expediting parts and all this sort of stuff. So, Five bucks, let's say EPS, quarter four, annualized 20 bucks at that point. Um, I think the street for 2023 fiscal year gap uh, or EPS projections is like, I don't even know, like 18, 17, something like that. So just extrapolating no growth out for quarter four, Mm -hmm. we've already passed what the street is projecting for next year. um, Consensus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I agree that it seems like they're executing extremely well. And I just remember back to different periods of Tesla's history when I felt like the same thing was happening. Uh, you know, once they got model three production down and they're just like opening up factory, you know, they opened up Shanghai model Y rollout went quick and smooth. Like they were doing a lot of stuff and there was still not much growth uh, you know, they weren't rewarded for the performance that they had shown for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just broke out and ran. So, you know, I agree that I see that they're, they're laying the foundation for that run right now. And, um, but yeah, I don't know as far as timing. I mean, that's why I like just buy and hold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not investment advice. <laughs> Not investment advice. <laughs> and Somebody it, here so- said, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go, sorry. Go ahead for that. No, I was going to say that somebody uh, thanked me for uh, for my investment advice. Uh, Richard Damn Hoffman. it. There's no investment advice here, bro. Come on, Richard. You know, sh- you should know better. <laughs> I think Richard dialed in as a Herbert Deese one time. I think it was Richard. I forget who it was. <laughs> and I was convinced. I'm like, oh, my God, Herbert's on. Uh, go ahead, Yashu. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. Go for it. Uh, I also think, by the way, it's it's tough in this environment because this marine environment is so, I think, macro heavy. Whereas mm-hmm. in the last, well, October of last year, when when originally Tesla ran, I don't think macro was too much in the forefront. There it was Tesla specific, almost like that run, right? Like, um, I think that weekend, <laughs> Tom Brady ad came out, Hertz, um, mm. a, a credit upgrade, two notches up, um, uh, you know, Morgan Stanley upgrade that weekend that led to that big, um, that big couple weeks uh, thereafter. But no one really talked about macro back then. It was kind of in the back of our heads. Of course, we look at macro. Mm-hmm. But in this market, almost everything we talk about is macro-related, inflation-related, recession-related, um, quantitative tightening-related. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, uh, Jerome Powell's in every conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's tough to decouple the two in this environment because even if Tesla kills it, um, but some macro report comes out that is, you know, the worst thing we've ever seen, uh, since, you know, 60 years in our history of reporting or something, it, you know, a, it can all be for naught in terms of the stock price, at least mm-hmm. the business. Yeah. Like totally agree. I, I, you know, I think quarter four is going to be massive for the business, but that's just kind of in the back of my head is, is macro. So as we sit here, we're in a recession. We know that interest rates are, have just gone up last week again. Um, the next time they can potentially go up is September and the markets are still pricing in 75 basis points for that or 50 basis points. But now we're officially in a recession. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, you can't or are really we? serve. We are. Oh, yes. Sorry. I don't know. I'll have to double check. <laughs> I'm kidding, dude. I agree with you. I'm just being a ass. Go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. I, it, What's it's the definition out. of definition again? I'll have to ask. Uh, I'll have to ask Pelosi next time I see her. I'm yep. not sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Whatever Joe Biden says. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so sorry, Yasha, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go no, ahead. but yeah, that's it. That's my point. It's it's just tough right yeah. now with macro. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that's one of the one of the big questions in my mind is say we have you know EPS run rate of twenty dollars in Q four, and the stock price is at around a thousand dollars. Well, uh, is that a PE of fifty? Right. Yeah. 50. Yeah. So is 50 a reasonable PE multiple to pay for a company that's compounding growth at 50% per year on average um, at the level of revenue that Tesla's at in a macro environment where we're like, yeah, interest rates are going to 8%, 9%, you know, if we're in something crazy like that. It's tough. A PE plus one, like let's say if you're looking at PE for just the next fiscal year, I think it's a little bit low. I think what you, pro- what I like to do at least when I'm looking at it, is go from like a reasonable year and and discount back. So like I think 2025, you know, some like 2030 would is hard for me to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. I know some people like to look at 2030 for Tesla. I just think there's so many variables that it could be like it, it could be the numbers kind of get crazy. So it's I don't impossible. even bother. Yeah. 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 So like 2025 is about reasonable, but you know, even talking now, it's been like two years. I should probably push that out to 2026 or 2027. But 2025, five million cars, let's say four and a half million cars. Um for Tesla, you, you know, you discount that back. And, you know, even if you take a 50K ASP, 20% EBITDA, you know, you get to you get to levels where and and then you're like, okay, I'll pay a 50 PE for that in terms of a growth mm-hmm. and discounting that back. I think that's more reasonable. Uh 50 on a plus one year where, yeah, I mean, EPS is growing way more than 50%. Revenues are even are growing at what, like 87% or something like that. So it um, yeah, it's but then again, I, you know, I'm one. Mm-hmm. person in the market you know whoever has the most money dictates the markets at this current time uh but in the long haul yeah i think if tesla continues their their that's why earnings matter so much now because back when tesla mm-hmm. was still like you don't know if they're going to be p- profitable this quarter it depends on the zeb credits and back then it was a different kind of model almost like now it's like they're they're positive they're profitable free cash flow positive massively now the question is um how long can they sustain their growth at the current mix of cars that they have Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I look at as 2025. Okay. Speaking of maintaining, yeah, current profits at the, at the mix that they have, did either of you see the interview on auto line with John McElroy, where they were talking about how he's uh, there, they had a guest on who has done a bunch of research on the, um, automotive buyer loyalty and how Tesla is just like, destroying all other automakers in loyalty like 70 or 80 percent like return customers yeah i'm gonna find it because i actually want to play that it's a very important uh video i think what i said was if you really i forget what the hell my tweet said but i i remember that video so i'm looking through it right now to find it on twitter um maybe give us like a a quick synopsis hans while i while i go find it yeah. So the, the premise was, you know, this was John McElroy, you know, he does auto line. And if y'all remember that Sandy Monroe did I some auto line interviews, um, back in the day when they were doing their model three teardown and it was before they really did much with Monroe live. And so this was like the first that we really got to see of Sandy tearing down the model three. Um, and it, it was on, on John's, John's- podcast Podcast. 
And, and so, so anyway, he's, he's been, been running, running this for years. And he, uh, he, he interviewed, interviewed a lot of great people, people from, from... Sorry, I'm going to get a bunch of feedback, feedback in my... Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I, I messed up. My bad. Go ahead, okay. Hans. I, that should be better. Ah, much better. Yeah. <laughs> See, I told you, I don't know how to work technology. <laughs> So anyways, yeah, he, he interviews a bunch of people from the automotive industry um, and they talk about all sorts of really deep in the weeds automotive business. But his guest there, um, was it Tim Libby? Yeah, from S&P Global. Um, he does a bunch of research on... So when a, a buyer comes into the market for a new vehicle, they obviously have existing vehicles. So what vehicles do they have? What brands are those? And are they returning to the market for the same type of car that they already own? Are they coming to the market for a new car that's of a different class? And then um, are they moving from one manufacturer to another manufacturer, which is known as conquesting? Like if a, you know, if a new manufacturer comes to the market and they're able to pull buyers away from existing manufacturers, then those are conquest buyers. Um, and what he found is that basically Tesla with its four models is just demolishing the rest of the automotive industry and the number of repeat buyers that are coming back. Um, Basically, if you own a Tesla and you go back to buy another car, there's like a four to one ratio that you're buying a Tesla versus anything else. Mm -hmm. That was a really good job, uh, Summer. I might even not even play it because <laughs> he did such a good job doing it. But here's the link. It's on Sawyer Merritt's um, Twitter, and uh, it was it was very very eye opening. And I think. I think what's also really like uh, uh, sort of interesting to watch too is like how am I I'm muted yeah so how um, how many automakers out there are taking that seriously like how many automakers out there say outside of your Fords mm -hmm. and your people that seem to be really on 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 the uh, sort of the right path are taking that seriously that there is a just a broad level of market share stealing which we saw initially with Model Three. When in mm -hmm. Model 3 first came out, Tesla had this sort of um, a list of here are the most traded in cars for the Model 3. Mm -hmm. And it was the Prius, a bunch of SUVs, mm -hmm. a bunch of sedans, a bunch of pickup trucks, a bunch of luxury cars. And at that point, that was the signal that should have said, this is not a, uh, this is completely different. This is yeah, a gigantic, shattering. destroys everything, right? And so the, here's, a, I would love to do a poll real quick, actually, while, while everybody's on here. I would love to know um, the people that own Teslas in the chat. Okay, so if you own a Tesla, if you own a Tesla, um, what kind of car did you sell or did you get rid of? Rid of to buy a Tesla. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious to see um, the responses here. So we'll do a sedan, uh, we'll do SUV, we'll do pickup, and we'll do luxury. We'll just do that. And then uh, see what people say. It's not super scientific, but I'm really curious to see mm -hmm. what the outcome is going to be uh, from that from that poll. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend everybody watch watch that watch that clip from the um, from the discussion. Well, yeah. And so I saw that Emmett was in the discussion. Um, what it made me think of when I watched that episode was their conversation with Drew Dixon. And, you know, he's 
one of his main points is that there's no way that Tesla can get to 20 million vehicles in 2030 without massively expanding the number of models that they offer. And that was one of the points that came up in the discussion with on AutoLine with John McElroy was that in the past, there's been a very strong positive correlation between the number of models and the cadence that you're introducing them into the market and brand loyalty. And so you can get people to keep coming back and buying your vehicle if you're refreshing it continuously and you're you know, covering a broad spectrum of market needs with a, a whole variety of models. And that right now, at least currently, Tesla's completely destroying that historical correlation that, you know, they can take from everybody and everything, and they only need the four models to do it currently. Um, but yeah, that, you know, I think that speaks to just the technological disruption that's going on, that not only the EV powertrain, but just the superior product that a Tesla is compared to existing automotive companies offerings with just the software first offering that it is, um, you know, to me, it, it seems like that that correlation in the past has been a proxy for just like, what's the best engineered car available on the market right now. And when you've reached a point in the market cycle where there's a heavy amount of competition, the product is basically commoditized, um, then you need lots of different ways to differentiate your product in order to get attention in the market. Whereas when, you know, when you've made that step change in technology, like the model three is still going to be a better experience for, or the model Y I think is really the big one. There's just going to be a better experience than 80% of the cars on the road. Like there's a very limited number of needs that people are going to have that the model Y can't fulfill for them. And they're not going to have to release anything new to fill a market segment beyond that for a long time, just because, you know, competition is not really coming. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the uh, comments I want to highlight here. So we have people that have uh, sold Prius, Chevy Tahoe, BMW, a Suzuki 4x4 or SX4, sorry, uh, uh, Fiat uh, Pinto, I'm guessing, uh, Volkswagen Caddy, Jeep Wrangler, an M2, Cheap. 335, mm -hmm. Toyota, Infiniti, Ionic, oh. Jeep Grand Cherokee, F-150, Honda CRV, mm -hmm. uh, Volkswagen Touareg. So you can kind of see, right? Least Nissan Leaf. It's it's a very broad uh, spectrum of cars. And again, this is a small yeah. sample size. You know, we're we're not going super scientific here. Um, but I'm I'm just th there was something that. Like along those lines, uh, when uh, Emmett and Matt interviewed Drew uh, on their channel, which again, if you guys haven't watched it, I highly recommend you do that on Good Souls channel. Uh, a lot of the bare argument is that th this is not a this is not something that applies to Tesla because people are still going to want to have that segmentation, that 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 mm -hmm. that second layer of segmentation because that's how it's been. And that's the differentiation yep. between the cars now. You know, well, that's not how comes. it was when we switched from horse and buggy exactly. to the car. Like exactly. At one point, Model Ts were 95% of the vehicles on the road. And so, exactly. you know, that way of thinking doesn't necessarily hold true when you go through a major technological transformation. Um, yeah. So 
Yeah. It's just a brand new product line. It's a brand yeah. new product line. So, and te- you know, yeah. Elon has said specifically that there's going to be a Tesla in every major product segment. And so right. you're going to have a compact car, you're going to have a van, you're going to have, you know, there's going to be at least one in every major category. Right. Any thoughts there, Yashu, before we uh, shift topics here? Uh, I mean, just, I think the writing was on the wall when we saw Hall, um, well, I'm not sure if you guys, hopefully you guys, have, you guys get this reference, Hallmark movies, you know, those Christmas, cheesy Christmas movies. The writing was on the wall when we started to see Tesla's appear in like almost every other movie. Uh, Tesla's, it's like a 50K car. You would think they'd want to like do some sort of promo with a Lambo for the hot shot in the movie or something. But no, like they go, Tesla doesn't pay them for that marketing. And mm-hmm. yet they're going with the Model S or the Model 3. Like I've seen it like in every other Hallmark. I, I watch a lot of Hallmark movies apparently. But the writing was <laughs> on the wall. Like you don't have to pay people or influencers to promote Tesla's. Why? I mean, they're a $50,000 mm-hmm. car. All intents and purposes, you would think influencers would run away from a $50,000 car and go promote a $200,000 car that they can take photos next to. But I mean, the writing was on the wall there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing the opposite. Um Actually, I want to I want to use this uh, tweet as well from Sawyer. Sawyer is a very popular guy on my channel because he's one of my main folks that I use to to like get my breaking news. And the dude's just on it. So Sawyer, if you're watching this, thank you. If you're not watching this, go follow him right now. Even if you're watching, go follow this guy. Look at his handle, Sawyer Merritt. Go get him. Um, real quick, Hertz CEO says they'll continue to take delivery of Teslas and have twenty thousand in their fleet right now. They, they placed a $100,000 order in 2021, so they're 20% through their purchases. And he added that Teslas are uh, saving Hertz 50 to 60% on maintenance costs compared to their ICE vehicles. I think depreciation on these cars will be better, and these cars being EVs. So we're talking about, so the reason why I tied this to the Hallmark thing is that I see this as a very similar thing here. That now we have a, a company that has a tremendous amount of data they literally own 20,000 EVs, uh, which a percentage of those are going to be, I don't know, 95% of them is probably going to be Teslas. And talk about a company that truly has data sets around running costs, maintenance, uh, ease of use, whatever, so on and so forth. And they're coming out and saying and sending the signal to the broader market that says, everybody, it's literally half the cost of a gas car to have an EV. And we know that because we have 20,000 of them. How, do you guys see this as a as any sort of a major move for the company for the stock at all? Because I think I'm curious to see how how broadly reported this is going to get. Because this is a big freaking deal. This is a huge data set from a company that has traditionally been 100% ICEs that now say from a business perspective, it makes so much sense for us to have these because we've literally cut, cut our maintenance costs by half. What are your thoughts? Go for it, Yashu. Uh, my thoughts are that I think. First of all, it's it, I, I think we all knew that like them coming out and saying it for sure, I think does speak to to some people that didn't believe it for already. Um, I have like, you know, there's very low maintenance with with an, uh, uh, with any electric vehicle, like just changing the windshield wiper fluid. Maybe every now and then you'll get some sort of small like recall or a sensor like it happens with every car. But I think the bigger thing with Hertz is that. My mind immediately goes towards okay. If Tesla ever satiates consumer demand, they can run and they can just have a different enterprise division or something. I'm 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 like my head already, and this is not to to change the topic or boycott, uh, but like no, please. 
like the Tesla App Store. Like, what if there was, uh, like, I'm just, my mind goes into so many places with the enterprise B2B model with electric vehicles, mm. the connectivity, the the ability for, like, for example, like Hertz talks about, or maybe it's maybe it's Avis, that, you know, they talk about, they hate the fact that they have to manage all these cars. They, sometimes they have trackers, some, some cars don't have trackers, mm-hmm. where they are, how many, did they ding anything? Um, how fast were they going? Like, do you imagine, like, the, do you see the power that the any electric vehicle, but right now it's mostly Tesla because the interconnectivity. But one day when there's an app store and there's interconnectivity, why would any car fleet manufacturer or a car fleet company ever want to not buy an electric car mm-hmm. for that reason? And we yeah. talk about satiating consumer down. Forget about consumers for a second. Let's go mm-hmm. uh, you know, direct to businesses. Um, Tesla could like quite easily just grow their fleet just based on enterprise demand using Hertz as a case study. Mm -hmm. So that's where my head goes immediately when I read that. I don't like, I get it. I love the fact that they say, look, it's so much cheaper depreciation. Depreciation, by the way, like I remember when, when, when I bought the model three, I used that as an excuse for myself. I said, look, it'll only depreciate 5% in like two or three years. I'm happy with that. It's appreciated. And I do not think that it's healthy for us to think that that's going to be the case moving forward in the next five years and telling people, look, mm-hmm. buy Teslas, they're going to appreciate without FSD, let's say uh, per se, if you, if, if you want to go there. Because that's just, I think it sets the wrong mm-hmm. expectation for for consumers if they're buying cars today, thinking it's just going to be a stock or something that that's going to go up in price. Maybe mm-hmm. it, maybe it does, to be honest. But I don't think that's what we should be telling people that want to buy Teslas today. We should be telling them buy it because it's the best car that you can buy on the market. Yeah. Um, but the Hertz thing, I think, is a bigger story in and of itself because it tells us about the enterprise model that has yet to be tapped. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And and I think it's important to, yeah, just highlight don't, don't buy because you're expecting appreciation to preface what I'm about to say. But when I saw that, it kind of scared me as a retail person who might be interested in buying a Tesla Hmm. that I see, you know, yes, we as Tesla fans, fanatics do the research. We know that that is the case. But, you know, when other companies like, Avis and national enterprise. and all these other enterprise. Yeah. When they're looking at this, they're like, wow, like, you know, they went out and they proved this and now we have to compete with them. And so we can't continue uh. to operate in a competitive environment and make money when we're going up against Hertz and their costs are significantly lower than ours. And so I, I there's definitely a very real possibility that enterprise car buyers are going to be the new market price setters in the EV space. And, you know, it's going to make it much more difficult for individuals to be able to afford to purchase EVs when the, you know, there's a very real business case to be made for why they should be valued at a higher level because they allow people who are operating businesses to make higher profits. Um, and so that, you know, that'll eventually end up getting competed away. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the thing that I thought about when I saw that. So I did a quick Google search, uh, what percentage of cars sold go to fleet and businesses? So roughly one in five new vehicles sold in 2019 was a fleet purchase, a car or truck bought by a rental Mm -hmm. company or other type of business or a government agency that buys vehicles in bulk from three or four at a time to tens of thousands per year. Um, so that's a lot of freaking cars. (laughs) That's 20% of the, of the, uh, 
total market that's going to enterprise. Hmm. Yeah, and if 5% today of the market is EVs, well, that's one in 20 cars. And so you still got three out of the four of those that they, you know, if if all enterprise cars decide, hey, we want to buy EVs, well, there's not enough EVs just to supply only the enterprise buyers. Wow. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering how much of like, so like if I'm an ICE, if I if I'm a legacy automaker, why wouldn't I make that my primary target to become more of a fleet EV seller? Because I'm guessing those folks are not really going to want to buy like the best product. They just want to buy the one that makes them the most profit. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm starting to think through that now. It's like, okay, so could the market for these legacy automakers be actually bigger than we think it might be? What do you think about that? I, I know that there are startups that are 100% focused on this right now. Um, so the question will be whether or not they can actually succeed in delivering products that are uh, competitive and you know be able to supply the demand. Um, yeah. What do you think, Yashu? I think if you look at the difference, like incentives wise, always look at the incentives as a, as a, as a car fleet company, as an enterprise or, or an Avis, what's my incentives versus a consumer? I think the consumer will optimize, um, like what would be different in terms of optimization from a consumer level than, than an enterprise level company. And I think the enterprise company the biggest thing that they want to make sure that the consumer doesn't care about is turnover, uh, like like turnover of the car. How easy mm-hmm. is it for the car like to change hands? Because it's like it's like a house. Like if you have an Airbnb, mm-hmm. the more people that yep. or the or the more parties that go through it, the more dinged up generally you, you know that the car is or the house is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like hotels. Like why do, why are there hotels versus just homes everywhere that everyone rents out, right? So I think it's the centralization aspect. So. If a legacy automaker can prove that not only I don't think an EV by itself is going to satisfy that, I think it's the interconnectivity of Mm -hmm. that fleet. So we talk about cars communicating, cars communicating back to headquarters, the ability for Tesla's cars to be like right now I could pull up my camera for my car and Mm -hmm. see where my car is sitting at. Um, You know, left, right, front, back camera, whatever I want to look at, I can talk out of it. Um, You know, so these aspects, I think matter more than just the electric part as well which mm-hmm. is why i think it's not just like i i would love it if legacy auto can find out a way to make that profitable and make that their thing because someone's got to serve the market and it's better yeah. it's it's better that someone does that than, than someone mm-hmm. doesn't and to be honest i kind of hate the I, I hate the fact that hertz is like backlogging tesla to a degree as, as an investor i love it but from a retail perspective i hate the fact that hertz is almost like backlogging tesla to to the degree where like consumers like retail people can't get their hands on these cars anymore because hertz is like it's kind of like that real estate developer mm-hmm. that's buying up all the land and you're trying to start a family yeah. in an area it's like that same kind of mental yeah. and, and then they're flipping it on the open market i saw some articles about that so yep. i mixed about it but- or renting it out yeah like the ones that are buying up homes and then renting them out instead of putting them yeah. up for sale. Yeah. yeah. It's a free market. Anyone's like, mm-hmm. like, you know, I love free markets. I'm a capitalist. I think it's great if you can within, within, uh, you know, legal parameters, of course, 
but yeah, I mean, there's something about like eventually, like right now we're we're you know Austria and Berlin are not on on, on to full ramp yet, so you know there's still mm-hmm. supply constraint there. But yeah, I think there must be a way where maybe Tesla can upcharge uh, these these fleet companies. Like you know, every consumer gets uh, a Model Three at, at 45k, and and every enterprise level company that wants to buy mm-hmm. for their fleet gets it at 60k, and then they just mm-hmm. arbitrarily mark it up because. I mean, it's a business. I mean, if you mm-hmm. want to buy five or more at a time, maybe you have well, to especially if you package it, yeah, with the platform software that they're going to yeah. need. Which you know, it reminded me a lot of the conversation that you had, um, Farzad, about Palantir and how um, you know they were talking about Airbus and how Airbus offers a lot of downstream uh, services. And yep. visibility, yeah, using the Foundry product uh, that has been packaged into Skywise. And, you know, Tesla doesn't need Palantir to be able to offer all of that same type of functionality, visibility, data, insights, and connectivity. Um, you know, they have the software chops to provide all of that to any sort of commercial customer who's going to run a business that's built on top of Tesla vehicles or or energy products or whatever, you know, as a service. And so, yeah, they could, they could have a software suite that comes along with every Tesla that is a commercial specific software suite that justifies that additional price tag. And yeah, talk about recurring SaaS revenue. Yeah. 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 And we're not even talking about the impact of full self-driving. And how Hertz yeah. can become that fleet manager yeah. of like just you know a bunch of self driving cars as well. Yeah, this is that's just an option, assuming that full self driving doesn't work out. And then it's like, yeah, multiply that by fifty or 100 a hundred if trillion. FSD does work. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, by a lot. Real quick, Michael, my delivery day was just changed from August first uh, fifteenth to September nineteenth. <laughs> I should blame Hertz. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. yeah. Go write him a tweet. Be like, you son of a. <laughs> <laughs> go rent for them. Um, there was another comment here from Richard Hertz loves renting Teslas because they charge a premium for it. And that's another great point because the, yep. that sort of, uh, you know, well, cachet that Tesla carries. Yeah. And Uber drivers have been finding this out too. Now that Uber is allowing True. drivers to rent Teslas and you know, everyone, it seems like everyone's winning. The drivers are winning. Uber's winning. Tesla's winning. And, uh, the customers seem to love it. So. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's what's been really interesting about this whole thing is, the, the whole notion that the entire Tesla community has sort of seen this uh, com- competitive um, sort of separation between Tesla and everybody else that we all knew about 10 years ago, however long we started uh, fo- following the company, these inherent leads that Tesla had, they're becoming a little bit more mainstream now, and they're becoming applied by businesses and and there's people out there taking advantage of these things. It's making economical sense to take advantage of these things. And what's super, so then where my brain goes to is like, okay, what does, is there, it just feels like there's one more lever that Tesla has to pull to truly become the player for everything. Because you still think about Model 3s and Model Ys, you think about the cost benefit they have to operate, they're still luxury cars. You still have to pay 300 bucks a day to rent it from Hertz. But Hertz is making 50, 60% on that car. What happens when Tesla now has the option for somebody to rent a car for effectively on, under 100 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day, right? And, and they become that primary player that can truly make that happen. They're really the only one because of their scalability, because of the uh, economies of scale, because of the expertise, their efficiency, 
everything else like that. And it just seems like that next, whatever that next car is, you know, if it's that $25,000 car, the robo taxi, there's only one layer left for it to be truly mass uh, accepted. I don't know if you can hear my dogs are going crazy. They're really excited about the robo taxi. That's why they're going crazy. Um, so, so, I mean, it, and it feels like to me, we're only a year or two away from that, you know, and, w- and what are the implications of that? And the fact that we have the master plan part three that Elon has been teasing for quite a bit. And we have an annual investor meeting that's happening this week that I'm assuming they're going to be talking about scale for the next year, because that's really the next stage of the company. And, and again, I just can't help but get excited. I can't help but get excited about these like truly uh, crazy things that are about to happen. And we're starting to get signals from Hertz and, and, uh, uh, Jim Farley going on Monroe Live today. I got a chance to watch the whole thing. And Jim being super open about how Tesla is a market leader. This fucking rest adult dating site. Son of a bitch. I hate those guys. Go away. Fucking asshole. Sorry, I shouldn't have cursed. Sorry, everybody. Uh, there's just all these signals that keep appearing. That keep appearing over and over again. That continue to reinforce the fact that we're going to be really close to that uh, tipping point. I don't know if you guys feel that way. And I don't know if I'm being super optimistic about it. But like, do you guys feel like we're just like one more vehicle away or just 12 months away from this thing just blowing up to a, to a point that's just going to be uh, unstoppable? How do you guys think about that? Please temper my optimism, if you can. Hans, go first. Why don't you? <laughs> oh, you're right. You're on mute. You're just mute. You're on mute. You're muted. Yeah, I don't know how to temper the optimism since I I feel the same way. Like, <laughs> I don't... I don't see... Well... Okay, here here's my my best shot at tempering the optimism. The macro environment that we're heading into is still very very uncertain and we still live in a world that is massively globalized and there's still a lot of supply chain interdependency that exists. We have not yet gotten to a point where we have localized supply chains um, in all the ways and the places that we need them. And so there's definitely macro risk um, that if things continue to deteriorate with Ukraine and we potentially get into a nuclear conflict and things start spiraling, that we could be in a world where a lot of this stuff kind of goes out the window um, just because things cannot move from where they are originating to where they need to go in order for products to get made. and that's a really scary world. So, but in that scenario, Tesla's still probably in one of the best competitive positions to deal with that. And there's a lot of other worse things that we're worried about than how our Tesla stock is performing. But <clears throat> yeah, apart from that, like if we don't have major, major force majeure events, Elon is holding, you know, he's got all the levers that he needs to just execute like insane for the next few years. And they will continue to deliver what will in the long term be incredible value for every single kilogram of battery raw materials that they pull out of the ground. Mm -hmm. Joshua, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, for sure. If, 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 like I saw a comment here. Someone said, if, if there's a nuclear war, money won't be a thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there's a nuclear yeah. war, like nothing matters. Like, <laughs> you know, forget about our Yeah, but what's like, the likelihood of that though, right? I mean, are we, are we really, do we really think that's going to happen? 
I yeah, I I hope not. Uh, I, I hope, you know, yeah, it, it's ahead. a power law thing. I would say the probability is low, but the stakes are really high. Yes, exactly. But barring that, um, you know, sticking with just like the like, I I almost find it funny sometimes. Like we as like EV enthusiasts, let's say, talk about the EV in almost like a way where like I'd imagine people when like the smartphone revolution was happening, people were like, "Dude, the iPhone like like the calls are so much crisper and like." you know, text goes so much faster. It's like, we're so focused on the direct benefit of the product. We don't see the auxiliary effects of it. And namely the Tesla app store, I keep going back to it, but I I just think this opens it up. And Tesla has a choice, by the way, like, I'm not sure which way they're going to go here. Either they go the, we make all the apps. We are super centralized for every um, data point that you can get from, from your car or, or we're kind of take the Apple model. We'll have to approve your apps coming in, but it opens you up to entrepreneurship coming in and showing you what is possible. Like entrepreneurs are the backbone of the economy with technological project uh, progress. So I'm really excited to see if Tesla takes that approach or if they centralize everything, um, because I think this opens it up to forget about more units coming into the fleet. Why would anyone ever want to buy uh, a car that's not a smart car, let's say, you know, forget about that term for a second, a, a car like a Tesla that has interconnectivity because it can't, you know, uh, you know, you like there's there's going to be things like now we can't imagine buying a phone that doesn't have an app store. Why? I mean, we have all these apps, we have all this technology, we have, a, you know, we do so many things on our phone that's not just related to a phone chip that like it was before. And I think that's where Tesla is headed. Um, so even if they, even if we have, you know, supply chain issues, like you say, Hans, in in the foreseeable future, Tesla can still grow their revenues, their technology base just by the existing fleet. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Nice. I want to play a quick video. Uh, from Monroe's channel. So if you guys haven't yet watched the interview with uh, Jim Farley from Ford, and I saw some questions in the chat uh, asking me if I watched the channel uh, or I watched a video with uh, Jim Farley, um, uh, Doug, and oh my God, I forgot her name again, Hans. Linda? Linda. Linda Linda Zhang, I think. Linda Zhang, yeah. Doug Field, right? Was the other gentleman that was on there. Yes, look at me. I have a brain. Thank God. Um, there is a video that was published by Monroe Live, which I'm going to share here on my screen uh, in a second here. And I want to play a clip from it. And it's uh, it pertains to full self-driving, as we're talking about like apps and interconnectivity that, that Yashu was talking about. So we'll use that as a segue to get into that. Um, let me show you this clip. And then I'm curious to hear y'all's reaction. You're muted, Farzai. Fart. Like this. I literally was saying, I don't know how to work technology as I'm <laughs> muted. That's how bad I am at this, bro. All good. Sorry, All good. everybody. Please bear with me. Okay, here we go. And then you guys may have to, oh, sorry. You guys may have to mute on your side as well to be able to not have echo. So just okay, sure. Up. If you guys don't mind muting on your end, and then we'll play this clip. And then uh, I want to hear your reaction. Maybe five minutes a day on the uh, on the 405 to get home from Torrance to uh, to Santa Monica. And I was shocked. I didn't even know this. When I traded in my car, I actually had bought it from Toyota. My Prius was worth $5,000 more than a Prius without the sticker. And I was like, really? And he said, yep, yep, 
yep, no, it's a trade-in. We'll give you uh, $5,000 more because you have the HOV sticker and it's good for another year or so. And uh, I said, all of them are worth $5,000? Yep. So that's the cost that people are willing to pay for five minutes a day. And what if we give people 45 minutes a day? Exactly. Holy smokes. Talk about, you know, the killer software that we can ship to a car and unlock value for customers and create a lot of value for the company. That my, the light bulb went off. Well, I, I... Okay. So that was within the context of... Um, Jim Farley talking about how he owned a Prius when he was a Toyota before he went to Ford. And then he went to sell his Prius to buy a Ford vehicle because obviously that's what you have to do if you change companies apparently. And uh, the dealership was offering him $5,000 extra on top of a regular Prius because of that HOV uh, sticker. And, uh, and people were willing to pay that extra money uh, to save five minutes of a drive per day. So he talked about how on the 405 in California, the non-HOV lane, uh, if you use the HOV lane instead of the non-HOV lane, you save about five minutes just on your drive, okay? Because the, the 405 is so insane. So then in his mind, the light bulb went off. Um, I don't know when this happened, mm -hmm. that uh, people are willing to pay $5,000 upfront to save them five minutes a day as as time as a currency. So he's value time as basically $1,000 a minute, okay? So in the case of full self-driving, if full self-driving is completed, which I believe it will be, but let's say it's completed, the, the CEO of Ford has just placed a price on what full self-driving actually is worth. And his saying that it's $45,000 essentially, because the average person drives about 45 minutes a day if you really think about it, it's, I think it's 20 minutes uh, per, uh, like going there and coming back is average in the United mm -hmm. States. So he just set a, a price target of $45,000 on full self-driving. And it seems like he's just come to that realization. So I'm curious to hear you guys' take on that. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? What kind of goes through your mind as a legacy automakers coming up with that conclusion? What does that imply for Tesla? What are the margin implications here? Because Tesla's charging, what, $12,000? And then Ford CEO is very openly saying, hey, we think it should be worth 45000 to account for the average driver. What do you guys think about that? Go ahead, Hans. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty crazy number when you, when you step back and think about what, because he only had like a year's worth of the HOV sticker. And so, yeah, it's like you're paying $4 a minute if they drove five days a week. Um, and say five minutes a day that they drove. So, you know, that's like $240 an hour of time. Um, or, you know, that's what the, the rate for an hour is. So I don't know. I think that's a lot to pay for that time for most people in most situations. Um, but I like the way that Jim Farley's thinking about it and, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, a law of diminishing returns and you can't charge that much once you have this widely available, but there is clearly a lot of value. And I think that's the the main takeaway is that there's a lot of value that people are going to place on being able to save that time um, and having a, a vehicle that can do that for you. And like we talked about earlier, it doesn't matter if an individual can afford that 
vehicle that can do that for you. If an individual can't, an enterprise will, and then they'll rent it to you on a per mile or per hour or whatever basis. Either way, your cost will you know dramatically decrease as the end user. Um, but someone, you know, there's a lot of value that's there and someone will be willing to pay the market price to get that and then provide a service that's based on it. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, sure. uh, yeah, I think it's, well, I think first of all, we should probably clarify. It's not, I don't think he's putting the price on that. I think he's saying that that's what the dealership was saying. And so he's extrapolating mm -hmm. it out, but I'm not sure if he's directly saying like that's his value sure. proposition on it. But also, I mean, I think I it's am. more, uh, <laughs> but, but, but to your point, I mean, to, yeah, to, yeah, go for it. almost like in defense to you is like, if it's worth it, it's like, it would be worth 45 K if it was 99.9% complete. But the minute you get to full self-driving level five, there have to be like a jump, a jump step higher than 45, because it's, it's, it's not like F FSD is not is worth whatever it's worth. If it's 50% done, 60% done, 70% done. But the minute it's fully done, it's a totally different game because it allows you to do so many more things than just yep. driver assist all of a sudden. So, you yep. know, to, to your point, I, mm. I, it's probably worth more than 45 K then at that point. Uh, but I was confused for a second. Cause like, for example, in BC, we can just get an HOV sticker. We just like put in our, our, we fill out a website. We just get it. Doesn't every, um, car get it or in California, or is it like a select amount that his was special that he had it or I'm not entirely sure why that was special. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, but my understanding was that because it was a hybrid, that at that time that he owned it in California, that there was a special um, exemption that he was able to drive as a single driver in the yeah. HOV lane. Oh, oh, I get it. So he was basically saying that uh, because it was a Prius, it was worth 5K more, not because he just had the sticker. Because presumably- A Prius with an HOV sticker was worth 5,000 more than a regular Prius. But, but then any Prius could just get an HOV sticker for free, no? Like that's how it works here is we just like- That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe in the comments, anybody from California, can, can you help us uh, uh, clarify that a little bit? That's a really, really good question. Right. And yeah. I was just a little bit confused. Anyways, yeah. like, but, yeah. but, you know, as you said, the point still stands. It's the uh, five minutes. It's the five minutes save yeah. that that's people are willing to pay $5,000 more to be able to save five minutes. That's, that was mm -hmm. sort of the way that he, uh, he, he put it within context. Yeah. Um, that, so, and what you said, that's sort of like, again, like I'm trying to temper my optimism here as we get closer to level four and level five. So if, if this five minute sort of uh, thing gets applied further, so 45, let, let's just under this scenario, $45,000 or let's say $1,000 per hour seems to be a price that's out there that's realistic for people to pay to be able to save a minute. Okay. And then you layer on the network effects of the full self-driving full level five autonomy system that allows you to go anywhere uh, and rent out your car and use it in a fleet, so on and so forth. Um, what comes to mind is when Elon uh, originally touted FSD as sort of this network effect vehicle, and he was throwing out numbers like $200,000. I think 200,000, 250,000 is a number that stuck in my head where he said, hey, this is what we think the real net value of this technology is, is about $250,000 because it's gonna save so much time. And then within the context that we just went through with the CEO of Ford coming out and saying that people are willing to pay a thousand bucks an hour to save time, 
that 200,000 plus number becomes a, I think becomes a, a real thing. Because if you put the $45,000 price on that car, then you say, now that you're adding it to a network effect, the uh, to a network, the uh, utility of that car goes up 5X because it's not sitting in your parking lot. You're actually able to get it out there and you're at 200,000 right there. So, so that number becomes real. You know, that number becomes real just by using very basic math based on what Jim is saying. Um, which again, that gives me even more confidence that says, if Tesla is able to solve autonomy, which uh, in my opinion, if there's one company that can do that is Tesla because of the talent they have and the scale, so on and so forth, um, then this 200,000 number, I'm curious, will it start propagating through the masses and the analysts and the investors and they start seeing this as a real number that's out there and it starts getting priced into the stock? Uh, and then what are the things that would need to happen for it to act? Like, will it take a Ford and a GM or a Honda or whoever to come out with their own level five system that says, oh my God, we think we can make so much money here with this thing. And then all of a sudden you're looking at Tesla and they're already like five years ahead and then they'll get the evaluation overnight. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts around that, but that's sort of where my head goes to. Yeah, I would say one thing is that that value is in particular markets like that's not the universal value of that technology. Like you're going to need to be in LA, in San Francisco, in New York, yes. um, in order for people's time to be that valuable. And then the traffic having to be so bad that, you know, you're going to be in traffic that long. Um, but you know, those are, that's very large market. So, you know, there's a lot of money to be captured there, but, um, it is, that's also a power law distribution. It might be like 10% of total miles driven or, you know, probably less since it's such a slow speed, um, maybe 10% of vehicle minutes or something. You could think of it that way that you could get that type of revenue off of, and then it's going to be significantly less in other driving scenarios. It sounds like, by the way, and there's a comment here that explains it now. It, it, Priuses get EV. Uh, Priuses now don't get HOVs uh, or HOV stickers. Uh, Rick K says they don't get HOV stickers anymore. Only EVs do. So the old legacy ones that were grandfathered in are worth more. That's why that makes uh, more, way more sense. Mm, gotcha. um, and but okay, so to solve for so. By the way, thanks for that, Rick. Uh, but to solve for I'm the to find them in the comments where he just, uh, he what's just, the timestamp. Oh, he just super chatted too. You can just pull that one the, up. The two. Oh my God, yep. I'm so... You mean the yep. one that's bright blue on my screen? Thank <laughs> you, Rick, for the super chat, brother. Thank you. Um, but to to get to the root, I almost look at... Okay, again, first principles. What is a robo-taxi network work, uh, worth? I, I just do this. And let me know if you guys think my, my, my reasoning is off here. How many hours in a day do you guys think if you were to hire a chauffeur safely, they could drive in a 24-hour span? Like how many hours would you say? Like maximum number of hours where the maximum. driver is driving safely. Um, so there's going to be some sort of like tail effect, right? So they're going to be at 100% for say, mm -hmm. I don't know, like six, seven hours and then 90% by hour, I don't know, like 12. And then it's sort of like cap. plummets. I don't, I don't know. Like that's Let's kind say of 12. thinking about it. Let's there's say 12. A cap. Yeah. So how about you, Hans? What, what do you think? 12, 12, does that sound reasonable? Um, I was just looking at so there are regulations for semi-truck drivers. They cannot drive more hours. than 11 consecutive hours okay. uh, and work a maximum 14-hour shift. So, yeah, I think 12 hours is a good, you know, reasonable. Yeah. And, and then, like, 
you know, if it's going to be sustained, I, I wouldn't want someone driving 12 hours a day for, you know, forever, right? Five days exactly. a week. Yeah. So the way I look at this is FSD is basically like if you hire two chauffeurs, one to work for the for the first 12 hours of the day and one mm-hmm. to work the second 12 hour shift of the day. And you hire that person in perpetuity. Or those two people, let's say, you know, you can have a gang of them. It doesn't have to be the same guy every other mm-hmm. day, right? But you hired essentially two chauffeurs 12 hours uh, from, let's say, 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. and then 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. And you hired them in perpetuity. And they were you were kind of like just like the business owner for this chauffeur business, right? At the end of the day, is that not what FSD is worth? It's worth having two chauffeurs. And, and granted, yes, you could make the argument for safety on top of that. You know, increase mm-hmm. safety with FSD, of course. And there's no driver fatigue. He doesn't have to stop to eat and, and go for bathroom breaks and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, like the value of FSD should be pretty close to two chauffeurs you're hiring in perpetuity. And so I don't know what that cost is, but that's just the way I kind of look at it. Um, of course, I think semis are a little bit different if you do a convoy, uh, more of a convoy situation there, like cost can be lower. But that's what I look at as FSD. So if you say 200000 I'm not entirely sure. I guess it depends how much a chauffeur... Well, there you go. As far as that's pulling it up, how much does the chauffeur cost? Between 30 and 50 bucks per hour. And of course, New York's going to be like 100 or something, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it... it so. And then, yeah, if you do the math, I guess Farzad is doing it right now, 24 hours a day, $1,200 a day at 30 bucks an hour mm-hmm. for the whole year. It's about 500K um, with tips and, and all the taxes, payroll tax and whatever you pay as a, as a business owner, right? So like almost like that's the way I look at it uh, in mm-hmm. terms of what FSD is worth. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Let me do that again. Yeah. Oh, and oh, by the way, I should okay. probably mention this as well, like charging. Like you, you can't, yeah. pull, you, like there's yeah, no way. Yeah, I was going to say handicap it and do it like 18 hours a day or something because you're going to need downtime on the vehicle. Exactly. But yeah. So 18 times. So let's go on the low range too. 18 times 30. Turn your uh, mic so this 18, way. So, yeah. So 30 bucks an hour times 18 workable hours times 365 days. So 200,000. Per year. Okay. There you go. So again, it's that 200,000 number that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. Multiply by right. how many years of the, of, of the car you have. And you like, as, as a, as a model three owner, you're not going to have it in the fleet like all day and never use it yourself. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's some spreading there of that. So, but yeah, I mean, that's the way I look at FSD value mm-hmm. is like, what is it to, for me to hire chauffeurs and just drive around people all day. And that's the value mm-hmm. of FSD, I think. Yeah, that's why Ryan has like 50 plus reservations on the Cybertruck with the locked in FSD pricing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Smart. A lot man. of people. Yeah, a lot of people have Cybertrucks locked in with the old FSD pricing. Yep. I think it's smart. Yeah. I have a few, but yeah. I don't have 50. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh, maybe for the last 15 minutes, Yashu, maybe we'll shift gears to uh, investor meeting real quick. Curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, what your predictions are for that. And then in the comments, if you have any questions for the panel for the last 15 minutes or so, please drop them down and I'll, I'll sift through and I'll bring them up. So, uh, and then Hans, we'll go after you too after the predictions for investor meeting. But uh, what do you think happens? How do you think the stock reacts? Uh, curious to hear your thoughts. Um, how do I? So that's it. So it's next Thursday, 2.30, I think Pacific time is. This is Thursday, yeah. This Oh, sorry, this Thursday. Sorry, it's a... Yeah. 
technically it's a long weekend in Canada. So I know I you're like really far weekend. west in Canada. You guys are behind one week. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> Today's BC, <laughs> it's BC day here. So it's like a stat holiday. So I'm still in holiday mode. Nice. But, nice. Um, so Tesla shareholder meeting, I think it's going to be interesting to hear Elon's thoughts on potentially talking about the next gigafactory. I know it's early. I know mm -hmm. it's, pre I know it's still premature and you know, you feel free to yell at me in the comments about it. Mm -hmm. But last shareholder meeting, I think we got some insight as to when Elon was saying like they might start looking into it. And from what I recall, I think he was saying towards the latter half of, of 2022, which is kind of where we're sitting at right now ish. So I'd be curious to see if any questions are asked about new factories or maybe Elon says like, look, Shanghai uh, with the second half that we've built up is, is going to be more than enough for the next year for us to not even think about uh, new locations for now. And you know, when you're ramping up two factories, I mean, the last thing you want to do is talk about a third one, but uh, th that's one thing that I'm looking out for. Um, I think the biggest risk to Tesla's growth is going to be the 4680s for next year. Elon said like this year, mm -hmm. we're fine on batteries. Doesn't matter. But Elon's on record to say even a couple of earnings calls ago, uh, where is the 4680s, um, th that we need for scale by spring of next year. And we got some clarification on that during the earnings call. I'd be curious to see if we get any more information about um, specific technology around the scaling, like the gigacasting news that came out. Um, but I think um, overall, the stock split the stock split, uh, or the authorized shares are going to get approved. Mm -hmm. um, I think my guess is probably the two weeks after is probably the date that they're going to set for the actual split to happen. Again, who knows when mm -hmm. that'll happen, but that's my guess. And I think the stock will actually hold. I think if the stock holds up, we're at 891 is what we closed at today, 892. If we hold up above 850 past this week, I, I think that's healthy for where we're sitting at in the last couple of weeks for, for performance. I won't complain. But I also wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of like FOMO buying happening before shareholder meeting because like Tesla mm -hmm. investors for some reason love to think there's going to be a secret thing at every event. Um, so, you know, we probably get that, which makes me kind of think that's like me. the Friday, <laughs> like the Friday, we might get some like, sympathy selling just for people that were like FOMO buying a book before shareholder meeting come in. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, the thing I'm really hoping for is that we go ahead and get the full master plan part three. I think there's, you know, a good chance that we can see that. Um, and yeah, I know. So like Tesla Herbert the other day was uh, in one of his interviews talking about, the expectation of a whole ton of gigafactories being built um, before 2030 and needing to see some construction announcements. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see where that goes. But to me, you know, my biggest questions around scale are more raw materials like gigafactory construction or terrafactory construction, whatever they want to call them going forward. Like that's a solved problem. And we know that they can secure land, they can build quickly, they can ramp. Like those things are not um, the constraints, like the unknown constraints. I want to know what can they tell us about how, and, and they've really played this close to the vest, um, but you know, how are they going to secure all the lithium that they need through 2030 and you know can they update us at all on their salt brine extraction process for lithium is that panning out or are they still expecting to need everyone else to continue to mine and refine lithium so i think those are the what i would really hope for 
Um, I would say uh, maybe 60% chance that we'll get that. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue playing the hyper bull that I have been for the whole show here and throwing out crazy predictions. But so, so here's what I look at at signal as signals. I see, I see a marketing campaign of sorts behind this annual shareholder meeting that hasn't existed before the cyber roundup. So there's hype being created behind this, behind this thing. Mm -hmm. We have the inclusion of uh, Tesla owners can directly link their stockholder account so that they can be verified as Tesla investors. So it seems like there's a little bit of additional juice behind this thing of like being an investor mm -hmm. and being closely tied to the event. Now, of course, generally these things are very administrative and they're things that, you know, you're just kind of going through the motions and ensuring you're getting investor approval, you're telling a story. But I really think the master plan part three piece that, that Hans brought up, and there's a question around that from Espen as well, I really think that becomes a, a gigantic focus of this discussion because really the question becomes, how the hell do you get to 20 million by 2030 that yeah. you've been talking about? Like that's really, that's really the, I think the biggest questions that have been asked, especially from people like Gary Black and other people on Twitter, other analysts is like, what is your, what, like you have four factories today. We know you have 2 million capacity right now. It's probably realistic to think you're gonna be able to get to three to 4 million with the existing uh, factories that you have built, mm -hmm. but you need to, you know, 5X this in the next eight years to get to your goal, how? And we know that there's a raw material stuff and Elon has talked about master power part th plan part three in the past. So I, I do, I, in my eyes, that's a 95% ch chance likelihood that master plan part three gets mm -hmm. unveiled in the investor meeting. There's no better place to do it, I, in my opinion. It's really, it really talks about what are the future plans for, for this company, you know? So uh, I think that's that's super super likely. Uh, do I have any mods blocking this these people here? Come on! <laughs> yeah, the worst. My God, these things are. I hate it. Yeah. I can't. I hope Elon buys Twitter so he can make his YouTube freaking competitor and figure out how to deal with these bots. And I'm moving all my stuff there because this bot issue is like unbelievable. So I'm like super ranty today. Um, oh, but uh, I think. I think Master Plan Part Three is is totally the the thing that's going to get unveiled, and I do want to highlight this uh, super chat from Baja Juicy. Thank you very much, man. Five dollars super chat. Uh, 10 7, 2021 shareholder meeting. The stock closed at seven ninety three, and by eleven four, it was at twelve thirty four. Yeah. Okay, so uh, past performance is not indicative of future <laughs> results, obviously, but uh, but if it were, yeah. sign me up. Sign me up. Too. Um, any other thoughts around uh, around the investor meeting before we move over to questions? Good for me. No? Yeah. Okay. Oh, Ishan, make me a love, uh, make me a mod. I can help, bro. I got you. Here. Uh, let me put up a question first while I do that. Um, so we'll go with our first question here. There was a question around. Um, where am I? So I'm looking for the formats here. Okay, here we go. Uh, value to Tesla for new car self delivery. So I'm assuming like a uh, uh, service center instead of you going to pick up the car, the car comes to you. How do you guys think about that? <sighs> I, I think they already did this in the like earlier on their days, they would go to people's houses and deliver their cars, but self-delivery, meaning like full self-driving, driving the car mm -hmm. by itself. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's much value. I think it's a good shtick. I think it's a good marketing thing, but yeah, I, I well, yeah. I, I mean, I it's know. at least the value of the time of whoever's doing the driving. Yeah. But the thing is, as when, when you get your Tesla, you want to kind of get the intro to it. Like you want someone to walk you through it. Like the handholding onboarding process was mm -hmm. like super important. Um, and it is super important for people that don't know anything yeah. about a Tesla. So debatable, I think. 
Yep. Can all of that be handled in software? Yeah, but like I'm thinking of my grandma, like she doesn't care for software, mm. but also she's probably not driving Tesla either. So, yeah, I mean, maybe. well, she needs to eventually. <laughs> <laughs> she, she loves driving in it, but she doesn't like driving it. So, to me, it's it's like uh, the, the biggest benefit would just be the cost reduction to Tesla by being able to cram a ton of deliveries mm. through a single node and having zero labor attached to it. So it becomes like, how expensive is it to run a delivery? sort of node right now it's probably not that expensive but if mm -hmm. you can increase your throughput by i don't know 100x and you don't have to uh use any capex to build more nodes then that seems like a like a big deal it uh, does bring up but, an interesting question if um you know maybe we should do the math at some point on is it does it make sense to ship teslas by freight if they can drive themselves point to point and maybe you want to do that just so that, you know, you don't have rock chips and, and things for new car deliveries, but yeah. You're talking about the semis delivering. So is that, is yeah, like instead of right? transporting yeah. them across the country, you know, from your factories to their customers on trucks, just have each one drive itself from the factory. Mm. No, I, I would use the semi because of exactly what you just said. It's uh, yeah. the rock checks and stuff. Unless unless you can figure out how to... Because uh, technically, you don't need a windshield to be exposed. You just need the cameras to be exposed. So is there a, a, like a protective coating mm -hmm. that you can use that would be, you know, eliminate that? And what is the risk of the car getting into an accident? You know, things like yeah. that. So, yeah. But it's totally doable, I think. That's a great thought. Uh, Wesley asks, do you think Tesla creating a wireless Bluetooth, uh, I'm guessing OBD is onboard device, maybe? Uh, I don't I know think, if that's the case. Yeah, or, I think it's a thing that you plug in to see like what sort of errors ooh. are coming up on your car. Oh, OBD gotcha. Too. Yeah. Um, and either sell it at cost or give it away for free to customers that haven't been able to transition to a, a BEV yet would be useful. Any thoughts about that? I'm not entirely sure what that would sort do. Of, Tesla's cars can take data like speed and location and integrate it into their FSD system so they can see gas cars further oh. out or just to help the FSD system. So I system. think, yeah, this is in the context of allowing, like basically allowing you to use Tesla's platform services that we talked about earlier in the episode if you don't have a Tesla. And oh, um, yeah, I guess it would depend on how much, you know, a lot, the, the more modern cars do have a lot more data available on them um and so yeah there's there's definitely potential another question uh existential with ai's ability to solve a, a problem once and replicate how are we going to deal with the increasing price of automation destroying the entire labor market <laughs> yes <laughs> we th there is a study my one of my economics professors in university told us about this case study in South America. I forget what country it is. So I'm not going to pretend like I know which one it is. And there was back when refrigeration wasn't a big deal. And it was the icebox industry was huge. Um, and there was a whole industry around icebox delivery people that would come by and put ice in your little box mm -hmm. in your front yard. And you'd keep all your meats and cheeses there and whatever and dairy. And, and they were saying there was a country in South America that rejected refrigeration. They said, look, we are it's going to kill our industry. It's going to kill all the jobs here. We do not want refriger uh, like uh, uh, re uh, refrigerators in our country because it's going to ruin our economy. And anytime, and that obviously aged like milk, no pun intended. So the anytime you reject technological change, 
it's great. It could be good in the short term, but in the long run, you, you it's just like shooting yourself in the foot. It it doesn't do you any good. You're better off adopting to technological change. Humans will adapt. We'll find better, higher marginal benefit things to to put our labor into, um, just like we did, for example, with the icebox industry. So I'm not worried about it. I think it's it's, it's a short term uh, pain for for a long term gain. My my sort of uh, so I agree with the overarching point that it's going to be figured out at some point. But I think I, I'm afraid that as a society, we're not ready for those short to medium term impacts. And it's going to be a lot more hurtful, like that short term gain might be like 50 to 100 years of like total destruction to the lower and middle class until we get to a point where it mm -hmm. truly is democratized to everybody. That's my biggest risk. So I think like over the long span of civilization, I think it'll be positive, mm -hmm. but I don't think we're ready for the near term impacts. That's how I think about it. Yeah, I mean, there was um, a discussion. Oh gosh, who is it? I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. Um, but there's a guy who was just starting an AI podcast. who's a researcher and he, you know, this is the, the, argument that typically gets made is, you know, we've, we've been through these periods in the past, there've been Luddites. Um, and we typically, you know, humans always find new things to do. And he's like, well, there's a potential argument to be made with the speed of how fast everything's going that we could literally disrupt almost all existing work over a short enough time period where you displace essentially the entire labor market um, way faster. You know, in the past, these have always been kind of isolated to one section of the labor market. And that if we disrupt everything over the course of 50 years, that's just not enough time for humans to transition to whatever the heck else. But, you know, you're also looking at a thing where we don't really know what the economy is if you really remove a lot of the things that drive scarcity. So it's just crazy and scary to think about um, and hard to wrap our minds around. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently since we've been having these conversations, Farzad, is, you know, maybe maybe the thing to do to kind of guarantee UBI is to have basically a pool of capital that is being invested by private citizens because I don't see the government moving quickly enough and proactively enough on this that is invested in all of the companies that are actually creating the technologies that could potentially do all that disruption and then just allocating that capital towards trying to figure out how to make that transition as smoothly as possible. Mm. Mm. Well, I like that idea. I think, I think the, the obvious complexity there is like identifying companies outside of Tesla that are willing to, that are actually doing that in, uh, in mm -hmm. good faith and yeah. they're not just uh, milking the because that's one of the weaknesses of capitalism is that it opens the door mm -hmm. for people to just play everything purely for profit instead of yeah. creating incredibly valuable things that just happen to be incredibly profitable right yeah so and the and the ability to do that differentiation is so hard as you can see by you know like i think angel investing or vc investing is a great window into this that you know anyone recently was able to do well in those industries when we were in a bull market. But then when we go through these bear markets, you see, okay, who are the people who actually knew what the heck they were doing? And you find yeah. out it was not very many of them at all. Like everyone was a genius in a bull market, but then the wave comes Single through. Single percentage point of people. Yeah. That actually and know it's what like, doing. Yeah. yeah, 
who are actually good at that. And like, so those are the people that you would need to be in charge of, you know, differentiating who those, who those next wave are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, great discussion. We're at time. Yashu, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for making the time and coming on. Super fun discussion. Hans, thank you so much for being part of the panel again. Thank you to everybody in the comments for uh, for posting uh, mm-hmm. comments and asking questions. Great, great questions, great comments. Uh, thank you for all the bots for coming in and trying to get <laughs> us to their dating sites. Bunch of fucking assholes. Uh, but yeah, thank you, man. Thank you very much for coming on again. Uh, you're obviously welcome back anytime. Uh, and uh, you won't be in Austin for the investor week, will you, this week? No, I will not be. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I but, uh, I do want to toss him. Dude, let's go. Can you come down this year sometime? You think? How's your yeah, schedule I, looking like? Yeah. I mean, this week is, uh, I'm yeah. Or this year rather. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm staying away from like uh, the, the Canadian airport situation is so garbage around here. It's like, you know, yeah, got, mm-hmm. so, uh, there have been horror stories of people waiting. So like we decided we're not going to fly anywhere this summer, but, uh, okay. yeah, if it, if it eases up in the fall and like less report, I'm super impatient. Like if I have to wait more than an hour, <laughs> more than expected, I just get upset. So, um, yeah. but yeah, no, I'm down. I, I've been to Dallas. haven't been to Austin. Um, that's my okay. next goal. Be super fun to all come down for AI day. Yes. Yeah, true. True. That'd be Good sick. Point. Good point. Yeah. yeah. We should make that go? happen. Uh, September 30th. September 30th. 30th. Oh, so yeah. that's, a, that's enough time. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. If I can get Book a the flight. Book the flight. <laughs> I wonder if I can get a Everybody. Ticket. Tell Yashu to book his flight. Go on Twitter. Spam him. Just <laughs> maybe, kidding. Don't do that. Maybe I'll just road trip down. It'll take me like a cool eight days worth of driving. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You have a place to stay, man. Just let me know. I appreciate we'll, we'll, it. Uh, we'll make sure you're nice and rested. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Yashu. Thank you, Hans. We'll see you in the next one, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Awesome.